Pastor Dennis Helton of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please join us as we study the scriptures one verse at a time, finding therein the power of God and the wisdom which leads to salvation. And without further ado, here's Pastor Dennis Helton. Okay, as we... Uh get back in to our second portion of our worship. Why don't we grab our Bibles and why don't we stand and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 8 through 12 and I'm actually going to start in verse 7 because that brings it into conjunction where we're at this morning. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. You can be seated. I'm going to kind of borrow from uh, our buddy Alistair Begg as he takes songs so often and he kind of applies them to uh, the passage that happened to be in at the time. He grew up during the same time that uh, Bob and me grew up and we, we really recognize those songs. Sometimes he comes up with some and you go, where, where did that come from? They're usually kind of like secular songs, you know, songs that we had heard on the radio and everything. Uh, back in 1970, there was a song recorded that would agree with the condition of the Apostle Paul uh, that we're talking about today as we read that text. Uh, the lyrics started out uh, something like this. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. <laughs> Along with the sunshine, there's got to be a little rain sometime. <laughs> they, he knew it. He knew it. This song just simply acknowledges the nature of human relationships. <laughs> and uh, so they go, when you have sun all the time, you have a desert. And when there's sun all the time, there's a great necessity for rain. Well, there are lessons that can be learned in the rain that you'd never learn in the sunshine. And uh, I need to know that <laughs> because physically, I love, I love the sunshine. But I know that we have to have the rain. Isn't it a relief when we do have it after we've gone for a long time? So that is true on a physical plane, and it certainly is true in the spiritual plane, isn't it? That's exactly what uh, the Bible instructs us so much. New Testament, Old Testament, doesn't matter where you turn. It's clear about the Christian life that it's a life trials. We have tests, we have trials all through our lives constantly. And it's to make us realize that this is all about God and He is making us stronger in Him. 
Uh, in James 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various manifold, many kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So there's a reason for it. And 1 Peter 4, verse 12, he has quite a bit to say about it, Peter does. In this one he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing is happening to you. It's not that strange, is it? We have to recognize we have a tremendous struggle in this life. Hit and miss, here and there, those struggles come. And if we don't realize that, we don't understand that, if that's not in our theology, what happens when those things come? Well, we start questioning God, and really God is doing a disservice to us if we look at, at any other way. That we look at God as a genie, and he gives us everything that we'd like to have, and everything goes really smooth, right? If that be the case, then yeah, what is God doing to me? You know, he's doing a disservice to me because things aren't going right. Well, make sure that when you have those down times, when you're down, make sure that you're not knocked out. Our title today is Down But Not Out. It's taken from this text. You know, there can be a bell ringing. It can be the fourth round. The bell rings, it's time to get up. And you might like just throw in the towel. <laughs> Had enough. Can't take any more. You're not sure you can make it through round four. Those first three rounds were tough enough. This round four looks terrible. Paul was in that position constantly. Round five, round six, round seven. It just kept going round eight, round nine, past 15 rounds. Second Corinthians 4, 8 through 12 is talking about that. But I want you to know Paul had the right perspective on all of this. And even during the worst of circumstances, I can't even compare. I can't even touch the base of where Paul was at as far as the things that he went through. And he had the right perspective, the right view of it at all times. How can we have the perspective that Paul had as we look at this verse 8 through 12? We're afflicted in every way not crushed, perplexed but not despaired, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. How can we have that kind of attitude? Well, I think it goes back to who is God? Who's who here? Are we God? Is he God? Who's calling the shots? And we find that in verse 6. We spent quite a few weeks on verses 4 through 6, right? And verse 6 for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts, here we go, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's loaded, isn't it? So packed, so many truths. If you get that right, you look at verse 7 then, we see here's God. He's the light. He's the one shining. He is the good news. He is the glory. It's found in the face of Christ. You see it in the person of Christ. Verse 7 then, we looked at last week, and he says, we have this treasure. We have this gospel that is in us. It's Christ. 
Christ is hidden in us. The treasure is Christ himself, isn't it? We have him. He's shown in our hearts the, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ or the good news, the gospel. It says in verse 4, and it says it's in these clay pots. These earthenware vessels. These vessels made of dust. And he puts the treasure of the universe in us. And he's saying, Paul says here, we're just ordinary containers. We're buckets. Pots of clay. We're really nothing in ourselves. In and of ourselves, we're nothing. It goes against the grain of what the world says today about self-esteem. But we have Christ's esteem, as we have stated, and a foundational truth is here to understand. Human weakness is no barrier for this God that we know and for the purposes that he has. We have human weakness. Earthenware vessels are weak, broken, broken pots of clay, foundational truth. And we see in verse 7 at the very end of it, the greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That's the whole point. And we are to have a high view of God. Not a high view of ourselves, but also look at the position that you're in. That is a high view, and it's dealing with Christ. And so there's a resplendent glory of God. Contrast us with our infirmities, with our weaknesses, with our instabilities, with our insecurities. We don't have it all together. Matter of fact, I'm not right. You, 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 ever, you ever heard the comedian say, I'm not right. I'm just not right. I'm, I've been declared righteous by God. There's still a lot of things that I have to get this right. And it's going to take a lifetime. It's going to take a glorification, ultimately. But the glory of God is placed in our lives. He says it. Man, you think of the rigors of the day and the times that we live in. How do we face these rigors? How do we face these tests? And it says in verse 6, it's this, so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God, that that will be seen. It's not from ourselves, but it's the surpassing greatness of God. That's why these things happen. It's abundant. It's abundant power. We are inadequate. Man, do I feel inadequate as I stand here this morning. Absolutely inadequate. But it's only through the power of God, His Spirit, Jesus Christ living in me, that I can have the privilege of proclaiming the truth, the absolute truth of God. What a privilege it is. But He just doesn't give us power here, He says. But it's a surpassing greatness not just great but it's surpassing we used the illustration last week and we kind of closed on that of Gideon remember Gideon started off with a pretty good army they were still outnumbered God kept reducing the army 
got it down to 300. God didn't even need 300. Matter of fact, he didn't even need one, did he? And what was the idea of that? What was to demonstrate the greatness and the power of God's glory? Of his awesome strength that he has. And Gideon learned in that lesson a little bit more who God is. He wasn't depending on himself so much as now as he had a lesson that he depends on God totally. So we're to be humble. We're to watch the surpassing greatness of the power of God. Now with that foundational truth, we know that. This is nothing new. That verse 6, hidden right in there. I mean, verse 6 and then verse at the end of verse 7 about this power of God. This greatness, this next section that we're dealing with today, you'll see how it fits right in with where we left off at verse 7. Next section of verses deals about the adversities of Paul. These are extreme adversities. These are not just little daily things that are little annoyances. They're extreme. It's not about Paul. It's not about himself. And as we see the context, we see, okay, it's first, it's dealing with Paul's issues. But we also will realize after we see the context, then we start looking at it. How does this work for me? I haven't been like crushed. Or, well, I haven't been afflicted. I haven't been persecuted like this. The thing is, is that we can look and see all the different kind of tests that we have. And in of ourselves, we cannot and we will not be in, uh, adequate enough to be able to fulfill those. But we look at Christ. It's his glory, his excellencies, his beauty, his majesty. God finds pleasure in broken clay pots. Using broken clay pots, earthenware, to put in his glorious precious, treasured truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's stand. Father, thank you for your very truth that you give us. May we open, be opened up by you to understand a little bit deeper and further about your treasure and how you use these instruments, call these bodies, these peoples who, people who have been redeemed in you, how you use such broken people for your glory, to let your power be manifested in us and help, it, help us to focus upon you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll be seated. First phrase, after he's sinned, it's the power of God and not from ourselves because he's going to take a series of paradoxes and he's going to stress the Christian life, the Christian ministry, gives a little litany of suffering as he relates to the clay pot, uh, the vessel, the earthen vessel that he talked about in verse 7. And here are some of the 
brokenness uh, that he has from uh, this analogy. Afflicted, but not afflicted in every way, but not crushed. You'll see that you have paradoxes. Afflicted, not crushed. The next one is perplexed, not despairing. Persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. The light of God's glory shines out of lamps. Remember the, the Gideon story, the lamps, the torch, the trumpet, the shout. That's how they defeated the enemy. Really, it was God who did it, right? The enemy got so scared and they wound up killing each other. The, the lamps had to be broken, right? So that the torch, the light could be seen. He shines out lives for whom God is working in. He's working in us right now. To show us what Jesus said is true. Jesus said this kind of thing. Come and die with me. Come and follow me. Walk in my footsteps. Die to yourself. He says, take up the cross. Follow me. Deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. Take up the cross. Not a necklace. He's talking about the kind of life that it is. A constant crucifixion through the Christian life. He says, I invite you to be crushed. As a term is used today. I invite you to be broken, to be poor, to be pitiable, to be wretched, to be blind, so that your experience in your weakness, I will raise up. You think about Christ, some of the encounters that he had in his life in a body as he lived on the earth. And of course, he was killed, but he was raised up, wasn't he? That resurrection is so key to our belief. You know, the world is hypocritical. The world puts on masks, and that's what a hypocrite really means, hypocrites, and it was an actor. An actor put on mask back in those days. You know, they would have this little stick, and they'd have the mask, and that was portraying somebody else. It was portraying somebody that they weren't, right? That's what a hypocrite is. Well, the world does not really admit that it's broken. People of the world will not admit that they're sinful. That's the problem. That's the absolute problem man, of mankind. All the crazy things happening. The answer is this. It's just a sinful world. They need to see how sinful they are. Then to see how the glory of God is and His holiness and then maybe the glory of God would shine through them as they see who they really are and who they really need, not themselves. He shines through earthenware vessels. If God, by His grace, comes into us and shines His light, what happens is that He peels the mask off. And then He keeps peeling it off. We cover ourselves up. He keeps taking it off and showing other sins in our lives. And we have to keep dying dying daily. That's what it means to follow Christ, to die daily. He wants us to be susceptible. He wants us to be weak in ourselves. You know what? He is not impressed with your successes or my successes. He really is not. He is not impressed with my accomplishments. He's not impressed at all. God wants us to be broken. He has to break us. 
He wants to strengthen those weaknesses. It's extreme sometimes, isn't it? Still yet, I don't think it's as extreme as the things that Paul was involved with. Did you know that the more of God's glory is seen in our weakness than is seen in our strength? You know, people can see, well, yeah, he's really good at that. You know, if I was a if if I were a really good speaker, you guys would say, "Well, yeah, he speaks real good. He just does that naturally." <laughs> the thing is, naturally, I am not a good speaker. So the glory of God can shine through me in doing things that I'm not naturally that adequate about. That's an amazing thing. It amazes me all the time. This was the last place where I thought I would ever be when I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s. Really wasn't until my 30s that I even considered such a thing. I couldn't imagine that. You know, we have to acknowledge that we don't have it all together. Let's acknowledge how helpless we are. Let's acknowledge how hopeless we are without the person of Christ. You know what? That puts us all on the same playing field, doesn't it? People can say, yeah, but you don't understand where I came from. Yeah, I may not. But I'll tell you what, we're all to be on the broken playing field because that's really where God uses us best when we acknowledge that and see that. And he puts on a display of his surpassing power when he uses weak vessels like us. Amazing, isn't it? So we get into the first word. I'm sorry to take so long with this. But this is all part of this verse. But now we'll get into the study of the words we're afflicted. And we've just been talking about that, haven't we? How do we define that word? Afflicted. Flibbo. That's hard to say. Flibbo. Under pressure. Pressed in hard against. You ever been in a crowd? You ever been at some concert or some event where tremendous amounts of people are there and they're all trying to get into the door at the same time and you get squeezed in, people are behind you and side of you, in front of you, and you know it gets it gets more squeezed in. That's kind of the idea. Pressed down upon, that's the idea that Paul is using here under pressure. Go to 2 Corinthians. I'm not going to use the lyrics on that one song, Under Pressure. Because <laughs> I don't know what the lyrics are anyway. 2 Corinthians 1, 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ, you ever thought about that? Sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. So much for positive confession. <laughs> Paul just blew that. Just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. It is true. Open it up and say, that is true. Yes, I, I do have a lot of different sufferings. We could say, no, never had any problems like that. Doing just fine. God is blessing me and he, there's no reason for that to ever happen. They certainly haven't read the Bible, have they? They're ours in abundance. You say, well, that's Apostle Paul and the group that are with him. That's every Christian. 
because we are to die daily, as Christ says. It says, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So there's the good news. Here's where we're at. But here's where we're at also. He abundantly comforts us, doesn't he? So he's not going to leave us abandoned and forsaken. And some of those words that he, that he uses there. Well, that's verse 5. Let's go down to verse 8. For we don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, our thalipsis, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Didn't have any strength left. So that we despaired even of life. Thought he's going to die. There's no way he's going to get through this. God got him through because he's writing this letter right here. We despaired even of life. We were so afflicted. You get the idea? Chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. We're just going through 2 Corinthians. We're just looking at these passages. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance in afflictions, being pressed down upon, in hardships, in distresses, you want to keep going? In beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, kindness, and Holy Spirit, genuine love, word of truth, the power of God. You see some of the things that he went through? Oh, let's go to chapter 11. Same book. Chapter 11, verse 23. You're ready for this. He is challenging the thought of the false teachers as they are kind of deceiving the Corinthians as they're telling bad things about Paul. Paul puts his defense and he says, okay, are they servants of Christ? Well, I speak as if insane. I more so then. In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. You all are familiar with this. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been on labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Wow. I don't think any of us could identify with this. We can say, yeah, I believe it. I sure can't. I haven't been there. I don't want to be there. What if God took me there? Well, I'd be a broken pot of clay. <laughs> he would sure be shining because I would still be standing. And if I wasn't, I'd be shining even more because I would be glorified. What's the worst can happen to you? Go to be with the Lord. But Paul 
was writing all of these things and he was still standing. Or he was knocked down, but not out. I want to put it that way. Under pressure, I guess. Hemmed in. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. We're just talking with the Corinthians here. This was his first epistle. 4.11 To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. It's almost like as he was writing this, he's hungry and thirsty. Are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Paul, what happened? You were such a great man there in Jerusalem studying under Gamaliel, the great professor. Paul, what happened? Why are you out there hungering and thirsting and you're homeless? People are calling him scum of the world. The dregs. I mean, can you think of any worse statements to be calling somebody? Scums and dregs. Every day, he woke up with the sentence of death real death, physical death. Every day he faced a reality. Somebody could take his life. He was threatened constantly. He was under pressure. Every day there was a possibility of being assassinated. He knew that. He had pressure of the care of the churches. He was burdened by them. Chapter 11, verse 28. There was a pressure of despair, of disappointment. How many times did Paul get disappointed? Quite often. So many times. The verb means to be hemmed in, to be pressed, to be pushed, to be pressured. I think at times we feel that way and, and, and it's real. If Paul can get through that because of the power of God in our little things, why shouldn't we be able to make this through this, right? By the power of God. Next word there, in our 2 Corinthians 4. We're afflicted in every way, so I guess every side that he'd turn, everywhere he'd look, guess what? But not crushed. Yeah, we're afflicted. I'm in being pressed in, but not crushed. The word is steno kareo. It means to the positive of that is crushed, uh, to be in such a narrow, tight place that you're crushed. So these words are related to each other and where they're leading there. Paul was pressured, as he's saying, but not crushed. He was pressed into such a confined space that it looked like people were going to trample all over him. He looked like there was no way out of this, and to him there wasn't, because he despaired even that there was death. But he was not crushed, and by the time that's all over, he was victorious, wasn't he? So, our 2 Corinthians 4, that first part says, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed. 
Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And we can say that too. We're still here. We're not out, are we? You've been knocked down? You're not out. God's still working on you and in you. The next one is called part two. It's found in the same verse. Perplexed, but not despairing. Perplexed, but not despairing. Boy, Dennis, this sounds so negative. No, it's not. Because it starts off, we're perplexed, but we don't despair. Because the power of God is in this jar of clay. And it's interesting, there's a, a, a really a play on words here in the Greek. The English is just going to fall short of the way it was put by Paul originally. The word is opereo, ex opereo. And Paul uses those words inspired by the Holy Spirit with intent. And they would have caught it a lot easier than we would, but it's like this. Opereo means to be at a loss. At a loss. Ex opereo is to be utterly at a loss. I'm at a loss, but I'm not utterly at a loss. Does that make sense? And in the Greek, he's using the same word, only he's adding ex, ex opereo. I'm not in the extreme despair. Paul may have been at a loss, but he never went off the deep end, right? Being at a loss, not having lost, the idea. Paul is saying, hey, they can push me right down to the bottom, as low as I can possibly go. And you know what you're going to find? When you get to the bottom, you're going to find strength. It's the strength of God. Because our strength shouldn't be there anyway. Oppositions. Closing in on all sides. Apostle is perplexed by this. He's human. And he should be. We would be too, wouldn't we? He doesn't know which way to move. Nevertheless, we see that he's not in a hopeless despair. He's not at a point where he has no hope. When we get to the end of our own resources, when man runs out of his resources, what else can he do? There's nothing left. And you've heard of many stories, deathbed stories, foxhole stories, where people are at the very point of death. And they, some of them confess Jesus Christ. And God can do that. Most often that's not the case, but it does happen. I believe God can do that. See, they, were, they realize that there's nothing now. They kept depending on, there's one resource after another. You know, people turn, oh, I've got plenty of money. You know, well, they run out of money. Well, yeah, I've got a home. All of a sudden they lose a home. Well, I've got transportation. I can... I'll sleep in my car. God takes a car. <laughs> Say, well, at least I got my health. Then God takes your health. Then you get to the point where you've got three days to live. <laughs> you've got three days. 
he, he, he might just keep that person keep going, how far are you going to go? I, I wish our nation could see all the warnings that have been issued in our lifetime, especially in the last few years. It will take us as far as it gets, as far as it will go. You know what? When we're in a position like that, that sounds so desperately bad. It sounds like I am giving, I'm just whomping up on all of this today, doesn't it? And we happen to be in a text, we have to treat it fairly. It's there. It has to be said. And you know what? Some people will say, this is a great piece of poetry. You know what I say? You're absolutely right. This is beautiful. They say it's beautiful, but at the same time, it's really sad. It, it is. I mean, can, this is a great work of poetry. Paul put down, and it's, uh, it's inspired by God. But he's offering great hope here. When God puts us in the position that he wants us, it really is a benefit to us because we can experience the surplus, the abundance of the power of God that we didn't need before. You see, when things are going smooth and right, we don't need God's power. We actually do. But we don't see that. It's a human dilemma, as Hughes in his commentary writes. We are precisely in the position best suited to prove and benefit from them, from these positions, and to experience the surplus of the power of God, breaking through and resolving the human dilemma. We go into number three. So we're afflicted, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're not at the ultimate loss. Verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken. Dioko. Dioko means to pursue, to hunt, to stalk. It's used for people hunting animals, stalking them, hunting the animals. Paul was hunted. He was dioko'd. He was pursued every day, day in, day out. Let's look at it. Let's look in Acts 9, verse 23. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. This, this is Paul. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates a day and night so that they might put him to death. They were watching day and night. You know, if that's God's will, he could have taken Saul at that time. Look how many times God delivered him. Day in and day out, constantly. It says in verse 25, this is humility. This is humble here. His disciples took him by night and let him down through the opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. There's the pot of clay that's literally turned into a basket. He's a basket case, I guess. 
Can you imagine that? That's the only way you're going to get out of this city. They've been stalking him down. They've almost got him trapped. Goes out by night. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who wrote much of the New Testament. We, you know, we put in our minds, we put him in an exalted position. As an apostle, God used him in that situation, but yet, what humbleness he had to go through. People should have been applauding him. People should have been crowning him or something, right? I put him in a basket and let him out. Let him get out of there. Verse 28 and 29. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenist, the Hellenist Jews, Jews who spoke Greek, kind of lived that way. But they were attempting to put him to death. I knew that this was quite frequent in the New Testament, but as I started perusing through the book of Acts and through other texts, this was just constant, folks. I just kind of take it for, yeah, yeah, they, Paul really got persecuted. Now start putting yourself into the life of Paul. People that are threatening you constantly. People in the, in the nighttime planning and plotting. These are Jews. They're Hellenistic Jews. They come to the, the city where he's at. These Jews do. They get the Gentiles all revved up. And they too are out to kill him too. I mean, he can't go anywhere without somebody trying to kill him. It's amazing. This clay pot is still alive. The light is shining through him as bright as a noonday sun. God does the impossible, doesn't he? Chapter 14, verse 5 and 6. This is just, it's mind-blowing when you start thinking about this. This, this is how God is doing it. It's that the power of God will be seen in a man who's being let down in a basket over the city walls. Acts 14, what is it happening here? And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, Paul and who he's with, they became aware of it fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and surrounding region, and there they continued to preach the gospel. In the clay pots is the truth, the treasure of the gospel, of the glory, of the light, of the knowledge of God. They, wherever they go, the only thing is, where he's going to go is out of the frying pan into the fire. But remember, God is going to show his power through him. That's just amazing. Go to chapter 20. You want, you want to do 19? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm thankful for that. Many thanks. I, I, I have it right here by my thumb. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. He had been there. Here come the Jews, his fellow people. And having won over the crowds, even the Gentiles, these are Jewish people getting together with Gentiles because they have a common, common enemy now. They stoned Paul 
and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. He just left a place where they were trying to kill him. Now he's here, and now they've done it. They did it. The enemy wins. No. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up. Can you imagine all of a sudden, the man is dead. What are we going to do? He gets up, dusts himself off, goes right back into the city. Why leave? Because where he goes to the next city at this time, while he's tired and beaten, I'll just get a rest. Because I know the next city, the same thing's going to happen. I'll just go back. Disciples stood around him. He got up, entered the city. Next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. The power of God was definitely seen there. Don't you know the people realized this God that he has? That's the only way. He was left for dead. Matter of fact, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it's possible that he visited the third heaven at this time as he was left for dead. Then got up, went right back to the city. That's just possible. Many commentators will say that, so it's not some kind of strange thing. Acts 20, verse 3. We just go on and on. He goes to Greece, Macedonia. He came to Greece. He, 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 he left to go to Macedonia. In verse 2, when he had gone through those dis districts and given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria. Syria. <laughs> he decided to return through Macedonia. They were plotting, weren't they? Chapter 23, verse 12. <clears throat> Nothing unusual here. Matter of fact, Sometimes God gives us little warnings before things happen. Well, this was a direct revelation from God to Paul here. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy. By the way, conspiracies do happen. Some people want to write off conspiracies. Conspiracies is when people get together. Whenever there's something that's, not, that's happening that they don't want, and they get together and fight against it. A conspiracy happens all the time. People say, oh, the conspiracy theorist. Well, a lot of times there's a lot of truth to that. Now, granted, we know that it can go to extremes, and that's all it is is some conspiracy theory. But here's a conspiracy right here. It's biblical, isn't it? There was a conspiracy against Christ, wasn't there? Anyway, they bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. They're going on a hunger strike, a thirst strike. The hunger strike the young gentleman up in Columbia caused all sorts of havoc last year. That was a ridiculous thing. And I won't make any comments on that because we have plenty of scripture to cover. But anyway, 
uh, we see here that uh, we're going to make sure that he's dead. We're not going to eat or drink till it happens. It's going to happen. How can you win with such odds stacked against you? I wonder if Paul went back to thinking about maybe that story we used last week about Gideon. Is that possible? The power of God sure has been seen through Paul all the way, hasn't it? Plotting daily to kill him. Gentiles are pursuing along with the Jews. He comes into town. Gentiles get stirred up because of the Jews. They want to get rid of him. He was stalked like a hunted animal everywhere he went for the purpose of one thing, getting rid of him. Truth that he carried in the clay pot. And so we go back to uh, our 2 Corinthians 4. We see the word that positive picks this up here as he says not. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Persecuted is being hunted down like an animal. And then if you carried that through, that the one word would be destroy. Up, uh, uh, the word is... Uh, uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm wrong one, sorry. Um, forsaken is the word that we're on. Uh, lapo. And that means to be deserted, means to be abandoned. Yeah, I've been hunted down like an animal. I have been pursued. I want to tell you, I'm not deserted. Because wherever I am, God is with me. I am not abandoned by him. It sure feels like it. It doesn't feel like God's doing anything. Well, if you're his, yes, he is. Every time. This word, deserted, abandoned. He says, I'm not deserted, abandoned. I'm not I'm not forsaken. And remember Jesus, whenever he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken is the same Greek word here. Same meaning, uh, Mark 15, 34. Paul, we know, suggests that although God did forsake, and I put that in quotes, he forsook Jesus on the cross because Jesus took on the sin of the world. The sin there separated him in a sense from the holiness of God even though he is still holy he now at that moment now has the sin of his people on him even though he never sinned and there was the forsakenness that was put forth by Jesus did you know that whenever Paul says you know in this sense but I'm not forsaken, or he will never forsake us. That's a res that is the result of the former forsaken, which is Christ saying, why have you forsaken me? Because what Christ did there, in that moment of forsakenness, we never, ever are forsaken or abandoned for a moment, never, if you're his. And that's what Paul says. Hey, I was at a point where how many times they even killed him? How many times did they pursue him and chase him down? He says, I'm not abandoned. I'm not forsaken. They can run me right down to the end like a hunted animal. And there's going to be someone there to deliver me. Now we go to number four. 
struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down. Katabalo. Kata down. Balo to throw down, to strike down is the idea here. To throw down like what a wrestler would do. Think back at the uh, time of Paul, whenever they had the Olympics, they would have wrestling, and the wrestler would take his opponent, and if he was much stronger, uh, he would take him down, throw him down on the mat, and then pin him. Struck down. So I might be struck down. By the way, I'm not pinned, though. <laughs> right? Uh, it can be used in boxing. You have a TKO, a knockout, any of those kind of sports. A blow is given where the one is down and he, that one now loses the match. Paul was pursued by the Jews, the Gentiles, when they caught up with him. They're stirring all this trouble. He's stoned at Lystra and left out the, for the, the city for dead, yet he lived, right? We read that text. He says, I wasn't destroyed. I was knocked down. I was struck down, but not destroyed. The word is apalumi. Apalumi, it means to be ruined, to be lost. Not lost, he says here. Not ruined, even though he was left for dead. And maybe he did die, in a sense, where his spirit went on to be with the Lord, to check the things out of heaven, and God says, I'm not done with you. What, what a, I wonder how disappointed he was when he found himself back in the same spot. I'm going to go back to that city in there. If they get me, I know where I'm going to go. Sorry. You know what? Paul was the most strong when he was at his weakest even at the point of death. Do you see the strength of God that was involved there? Anybody who saw that and witnessed that, how did they respond to that? If you were there, what would you have done? Well, I'd hope because maybe you hadn't been a believer before that you would now, because that resembled a resurrection. And we got up. The power of Christ just took over there, right? Now, as we go into part five, this is the last part, always dying but ever alive. That's what we're calling this. We just went through the paradoxes, right? If you didn't get that, he starts explaining those four different paradoxes. Explains them. He explains the significance of the sufferings. This is awesome indeed. The significance. He says it all boils down to this. We're always carrying in our bodies the dying of Jesus in us. That the life of Jesus may be manifest in us. Let's read that text. Verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus also be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, 
so that the life of Jesus also be, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Wow. What an interpretation, Paul. He explains this suffering that he just talked about. And our bodies is the dying that's manifested, but the life of Jesus is manifested. We're afflicted, we're perplexed, persecuted, struck down, any of that. That's carrying the sufferings of Christ. That's carrying about in my body the dying of Jesus. This is a present tense term here that he's talking about, this dying. He's not talking about a, a dying in, you know, in the flesh at that time. He's talking about the dying that's a daily thing. He elevates his suffering here to a marvelous level, and he takes it all the way to the peak, and that's Christ, Christ's suffering. Takes it really to his life, his works that he did, and then ultimately we think of the cross. The dying of Christ Dying, caring about in his body, the body of Jesus. Always dying. The word there is necrosis. You've heard of necromancy, dealing with, with death. Uh, here this word is, it's a process of dying. There's a process of dying while he was in the body. It daily takes place in the affliction, in the perplexity, in the persecution, and in all of this humiliation that, that we see here in verse 8 and 9, being struck down, so that the life of Jesus would be seen in him. So he calls all of those afflictions and such death, the dying, the dying of Jesus. He endured it, didn't he? So that the life of Jesus could be experienced. You mean there are sufferings that are planned for us so that we would experience the life of Christ? Yeah, that's right. That's what he's saying. Look in 1 Corinthians 4.9. This is incredible. I'm not so sure that most people would like to hear this, would they? This is good. This is really a good thing. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 9. For I think God has exhibited us, us apostles, last of all, the apostles, last, condemned to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake. uses quite the deep thought here. God has put us on exhibit, on display. We're condemned to death. It's a daily dying. If he could have been taken out at that time, it would have been a lot more comfortable because he knows he's a Christian. He knows he's going to be with God, but he had a daily dying. Physically, mentally, spiritually, in every way, Always dying, he said. We're condemned to die. Men condemned to die, these apostles. We're a spectacle. The word for spectacle there, I think, is uh, th uh, theatros, uh, theater. 
a theater where people watch movies, watch plays. We're on display for people to see us daily dine. That's what Paul says. They're, they're looking. The angels are looking. Men are looking. The world is looking at us. And people don't understand. If they don't understand, they're going to, there's no way I'm going to be a Christian. I don't want to be a part of that. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, though. Same letter. We've been spending most of our time in Corinthians 1, or the 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, haven't we? 15 to 31. What do we have here? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. This is the resurrection chapter. This is all good news. He says, I die daily. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Die daily. Follow me. That is what Jesus said. The cost of discipleship, right, Nandor? As Bonhoeffer wrote about. It is a cost. Look what it cost Paul. Would he have done it again? You betcha. Because it's the right thing to do. It's the only thing to do. When you have God calling you to do this for his sake, he's going to show great strength. There he talks about the wild beast at Ephesus. I fought with wild beasts. I don't know whether those were literally wild beasts or he's talking about men. Men can be beasts, can't they? But anyway, Romans 8.36. Oh, good. We get a little, little taste of Romans here today. Just as written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. It's for your sake. All day long, every day, we're being put to death. We're dying. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That was taken out of the Old Testament that Paul quotes in Romans 8. Luke 9.23. And he was saying to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. That's what it starts at salvation. We are crucified Somehow we're on we were on the cross with Christ. Somehow, some way. We were crucified. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I, I'm crucified. Yet I live. We're not talking about a temporary phenomenon of the death of uh, of body, physical sense. He was in a process of dying, and it's very analogous to Jesus experiencing the same kind of thing, as he also went through a very afflicted life. We look at our lives. We're not at the front of the parade. We're not with the generals. We're not riding in the fancy cars. 
We are the slaves. We are the ones who are defeated. We're back in the chains. We're in chains. It's a paradox. In my life, the death of Christ is being revealed. Philippians 3.10 says a daily dying. This is part of the gospel, isn't it? For our citizenship is in heaven. Verse 20. It's verse 10 is what I need. I'm sorry. Here we go. That I may know him and the fellowship of his resurrection. Amen? Let's turn and get away from you after that. What does he say? And the fellowship of his sufferings. What is happening as we fellowship in his sufferings? being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. We die daily. And of course we look forward to that very resurrection too. We are being given over to the death for Jesus' sake so that his life is revealed in our bodies, in our life. We're delivered over paradidomai. It's like Jesus was turned over or delivered over to the ones who arrested him. Same word that is used there. He was handed over to the crucifiers. Paul was handed over to the crucifiers daily. We who are suffering for Jesus' sake are being delivered over so that the life of Jesus may be put on display in our lives. Each time Paul was delivered, he overcame an obstacle. There was evidence that was given that the crucified Jesus is also the resurrected Lord. Yeah, that, that is amazing, isn't it? We have the brand marks of Jesus, Paul says. He, he had the very brand marks, I mean, on his body, Galatians 6, 17. Colossians 1, says, we're filling up what is lacking. Matter of fact, let's turn there. I'm really running out of time. Colossians 1, You know what? Jesus is in heaven. Where's his body? The head is in heaven. Where's the body? Right here. Right here. Right here. On out to the rest of the believing people in, in, in the world. They're the body. Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. D did, you, did you catch that? I rejoice in my sufferings. For your sake, because it will bring you to Christ. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Oh, remember that word, affliction? Christ's affliction. He did what he did in his life and his death. He is no longer suffering those sufferings, but his body still is. And until the day he comes back, and makes that complete, that body, it's still lacking. There's still more afflictions to go for the church, for the believers. 
Do you guys understand that? Paul said he rejoiced in the sense that he got to do that. And he kept doing it until it was time to go. That's amazing. And I want you to know there are passages dealing with Christ in you. Colossians 1.27 Christ in you the hope of glory. The unconquerable life of the risen Lord Jesus. The joy that the Christian witnesses about. The paradox of asserting that death is at work. Death, by definition, is the absence of life and activity. Yet we have Paul saying that the very life that has come to the Corinthians, they had spiritual life because he came there, gave them the gospel, and they became believers, those people did. It was a result of the work of death that was in him. By death, he means that suffering and ministry described in verse 8 and 9. And I finish with this. Paul got it. Our question is, is do we get it? Do we get it? I hope so. I hope we get it because God brings us to a point of weakness. And God works in you to prove the purpose that he has. And he demonstrates his surpassing power in our weak vessels. So many Christians encounter these things. And there are different conclusions that people will come up with. The first one is some people will deny that anything is happening to them. They won't admit it. They will deny it. They say it's just, it's not, it's not real. That's no, not really happening. And they cover it up. They won't acknowledge the weakness and the, the power of God. That's how some will respond to this thought. Others will despair. Paul said, I don't despair. They despair because they realize these things that come against them, these afflictions, do exist. And they despair. So you have the extremes there, don't we? There's another one that will blame everything on the demonic side, the enemy. It's Satan who did it. And they'll argue that any trials that we have are not from God, but it's, it's all from Satan. And that's not biblical. We've seen all these texts today. I'd hope you'd never believe that. Although Satan plays a big role in it. I know that. Number four, there are others who take the view that Paul had. And they see them as divinely ordained. Orchestrated with such love and grace making opportunities for our growth and God's glory. Do you see what happened to Paul's life? Did God's glory, was it seen through his jar of clay? You know it. We looked at all those passages. And so, okay, the question is, how does one know with such incidents are divine or they're demonic? When does one humbly submit to such tribulations and when does one struggle with the fact this has to be eliminated and you know there's the enemy really at us how do we know we don't always know we do know God is sovereign and he will use that no matter what here's what I know on this God wants to 
put me down and keep, and reason I say put me down is that he wants to crush all the sin and all the stuff that doesn't need to be in Dennis Helton. He wants me to die daily because he's so gracious. He wants to get out the junk out of my life. I want it to be to a point where there is not so much Dennis Helton living, but it's Christ who lives in me that is seen. And it's really only God remaining in the person of Christ. That is what God is doing to us. Let's pray. Father, what a writing you have given. Paul, it's rather hard as we look at it and we say, well, that's just Paul, and, and it was. I mean, we may not ever experience the things that he had. Some of us maybe have in some ways. Some of us could in the very near future. Still may not equal this, but yet we know that there is a fulfilling to be done. You're making us in the image of Christ, and whatever ways that you use for it, it's all about your glory. It is truly awesome indeed. This is all good news, Lord. This is very gracious that you've given us because it explains to us what is happening in this life that is full of turmoil, and it should never lead us to despair. It should never lead us to feel like we're destroyed, but actually quite the opposite because we're dying daily so that you live through us and be conformed to the person of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.